0: Your passion set you apart because your experience can get you so far, but like your passion is going to take you to the next level. And I think what's really cool about what your community is basically telling you is that it's not just a job anymore. It's a lifestyle. You have to really love and eat and breathe your work that you're doing. And that could be with an organization, it could be on your own, it could be a passion project, but Experience is your foundation, but the passion is what's going to get you out of bed every day. Fierce
1: Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. On today's episode of Fierce Lab, I sit down with Emily Bibb, co-founder of Brief. Brief is a modern end-to-end solution for the world's best small agencies. It's a technology platform. But what I'm talking to Emily about today has very little to do with her business and more to do with the way she evaluates risk. Emily was a swimmer in college, she tried out for the Olympic team, and she's worked for numerous startups. She's used all of these experiences to guide her in evaluating how she takes on change and faces challenges. She talks about how she named her perfectionism, personified it, and how she talks back to it. She discusses with us how you can put your fears down on paper and break them down into smaller pieces so that you can't be stopped by those fears. I love this conversation with Emily, and I think it's gonna be so valuable to women who are thinking about how to make a change. Women who are considering, what do I need to do to move forward? And maybe I don't know where to start. Start with this podcast. Emily has some really great advice. I can't wait for you to hear it. Once you've listened to it, hop over to Instagram and send us a DM and let us know what you thought.
0: Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tara, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am
1: um, so glad that you are here with me today. And I have to tell you, I've said it before on the podcast, risk-taking might be my favorite subject to discuss. I consider myself a risk taker. And so I am thrilled that we're going to jump into this conversation today and really talk about the work that you've done throughout your career and how you think about risk.
0: Yeah. And I agree. And how how to you know approach risk in a way that's not so scary, mm-hmm. like in a way that we can kind of make it manageable step-by-step step and kind of help it lead us to our ultimate like. Dreams.
1: Absolutely. You make a very good point. We're going to go through some step by step things that women can do, some actions that they can take when they think about risk. And sometimes it's really hard to quantify how someone thinks about risk. So I'm really excited to dig into specifically your thought process around it, Emily. So, should we get started? Let's do it. Okay. So for our listeners that don't know you and aren't familiar with you and your work at Brief, let's just kind of give them a bit of an overview of who you are and your background.
0: Yes. So I'm Emily, the co-founder of Brief, and we are the world's first agency marketplace. So our mission is really to bring the world's best brands and the world's best agencies together to create better work. And how we do that is through our technology platform and really giving them the tools to plan projects, connect with each other, contract projects, and ultimately pay for projects. My background was really in our user shoes. So I was a brand builder. I was a marketer who struggled with outsourcing. I was also on the agency side and really struggled with how do we get more business? How do we meet the brands and get our foot into the door? how do we make the RFP and pitch process not so painful? And so that's really what we're building at brief. And what would, again, was the inspiration was being a marketer at small startups, being on the agency side in New York city, and really seeing this opportunity that if I'm struggling with this connection and I'm struggling with this you know way to find the best partners, other people are too.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're gonna get into more about brief and this jump that you made. But I love that you pointed out that you have been agency side, you've been client side. Some of those big brands that you've worked for include Pop Sugar and Swell. And we're gonna talk about what that has been like for you and again through this lens of risk. But I want to take a step back. I think one. Of the many things that makes you interesting and a compelling guest to chat with is you were a college swimmer, very competitive. So you kind of made some bold steps even at a much earlier age than your career when thinking about swimming in college and where you were swimming. So let's catch our listeners up to what I know about that and in that time in your life.
0: Yes. So I always say my first, you know, career was really being an athlete because it it did take that dedication, that focus, (laughs) sometimes a little bit of that craziness to wake up and jump in a pool at 5 a.m. But that really was, you know, a lot, a big part of my life before becoming an entrepreneur and really stepping into the professional world. As you noted, I did swim in college. I actually started my career at UCLA. So I was on the swim team there. And then I made the jump and transferred to UC Berkeley at the time. It was a very, very crazy concept to transfer within the PAC 12, but I really had this kind of gut feeling of, you know, I really see an opportunity to swim under the Olympic coach. I'm really kind of vibing with the program and I need to take that leap, even though it was something that no one was considering that I kind of was a little sh- shamed for at first, but that was kind of my professional journey. And I, I went to, to Cal Berkeley. I was fortunate enough to swim with an amazing team under a great coach. We won a few NC2A titles and I also tried out for the Olympic team. So amazing career there. And one thing, as I was reflecting, you know, ahead of this podcast is that's actually where I, I technically got my like professional start Because during that time, I was also writing, I started publishing my work to the internet via the blog. And it really was this kind of thing where I was, I could swim and go to practice, but then I can kind of share my stories and experiences through the web with community of other female athletes who were into the same thing. Yeah.
1: I want to talk about you transferring from schools in the PAC-12 because you make a very valid point when you made this decision It was not common to do it. Now, a lot of athletes talk about the transfer portal, and we hear a lot about it, especially like in football. Here in Texas, that's what I hear a lot about. But this wasn't common. And and so that was a a risk, right? You said you were kind of shamed for doing it. I'm sure like there's probably placement concerns in swimming. I mean,
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole, to your point, kind of the whole, a lot of the rules have changed. I mean, even now college athletes can become sponsored and paid. So it was a different world back then, but I think to go back to your point, I almost kind of woke up one day and I was like, I have a limited finite amount of time to take advantage of the rest of my swimming career. And it was almost that fear of like, if I don't do it, if I don't take full advantage of it, will I regret this later in life? That's kind of where it started from, and I then kind of started exploring. Okay, would I go out of state? Would I, you know, go swim for a school on the East Coast? What would it look like if I reapproached Cal Berkeley? Because we had been talking, you know, before I made the decision to go to, go to UCLA. But it was really rooted in the idea that I have a finite amount of time as an athlete, especially in college, and if I don't do this, will I regret it later on in life? Mm, and that think- was.
1: I think that's a really good nugget for women to take away when they're evaluating, should they make a change? Should they step out of what they know in their comfort zone and do something that they perceive as a risk? What I'm hearing you say is consider how you might feel down the line. Is Do you feel like you would regret not stepping out and trying that? And I think that's a really valuable point.
0: Because I think sometimes that regret could almost be even more painful than the failure Mm. if it did happen.
1: Ooh, I like that. I like knowing that you are thinking about, because we do, we consider risk and we think about most people calculate what the failure rate could be and weighing that against the regret of not knowing, having not tried. I can't. Because I am a risk taker. So I can't imagine going through life saying, Well, I wish I'd done that and wondering if something would have worked out. So that's really good. I wanna know do you think that your ability to be on the edge of the unknown and be comfortable with uncomfortableness, do you think this is a product of nature or nurture?
0: Gosh, probably a little bit of both. I definitely think. I was fortunate to have parents who were kind of like, "Just go for it, make the most of it, live up to your potential." So it was that. but I also I also think it's kind of how I've always been really reflecting back. I've always had that like entrepreneurial spirit. I would, you know, started my first business, which was like a fruit stand in my front yard selling stuff at like the age of five. Like part of it was in me, but then I think part of it, came through mentors in my life, came through my parents, came through my coach, that kind of honed in. It's okay to just push it and see what happens. We're here for you and we can guide you through it.
1: It's okay to just push it and see what happens. That's really good, that's good. So in the context of you building your career, like you said, you've kind of had this entrepreneurial spirit even as a child, but you didn't just step out and become an entrepreneur from the beginning. I mean, you've had a, a pretty storied career path as well. So let's talk about some of those bold steps that you took in your career. Like
0: you left college, you graduated college, and what'd you do? So, my very first job outside of college, I was an editorial assistant at Pop Sugar. And how I got that job, again like i said i was i was kind of like og blogger before even instagram writing a lot and pop sugar was a blog at the time that i followed i really admired and saw that they were hiring sent through my portfolio and and kind of jumped in in there you know quickly as digital evolved i you know took a different path i was kind of like oh wow it's writing's great but so is promoting your stories i then went over to visco which is a photography editing app. If you actually Google "Visco girl, it's that viral trend meme. I was pretty much the first Visco girl. And I learned a lot there again, startup, scrappy, great community. And I still had this inkling to go to New York. And so that's really that big kind of like risk in my career where I was like, San Francisco is great. The tech industry is great but I, I want to live out that New York experience.
1: So before we hop into that big move across the country, which could feel like a risk, let's talk about the fact that you chose to go to work for a couple of essentially unknowns, right? And instead of, I'm going to go work for a consumer packaged goods company, or I'm going to take go work somewhere that is known, you chose the unknown, What do you think's behind that? And how did you kind of evaluate like these types of
0: opportunities? So I think at the time I didn't consider them unknowns because I was genuine users of the products. I was a viewer of of their work. I would go in every morning with my coffee. I would read their website, see what they were talking about. So I was genuinely invested from the outside before I took the risk to go on the inside and work for them. Same with with Visco. I again was fascinated with the blogging and photography and how to edit your photos, and they were building those tools very early on. I was a user, kind of stumbled upon upon their kind of job site and applied, so it didn't feel like a risk because I had. I had already been bought in before working with them.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think there's something valuable to point out here that it's you were following a passion and an interest and maybe to an outsider just like my own self I said, you know, it seemed like maybe a risk to go work for a startup but you were like no, no it wasn't because I was already engaged and involved and I I think that's really important to point out to women is that just because someone else perceives it as a risk doesn't necessarily mean you do and or feel that it is. And that's something good to evaluate when you're thinking about stepping out, making a change, taking something on. What do you know that other people don't? What do you feel about this choice that other people aren't connected into? Because that can inform your decision and it You don't owe anyone an explanation of your decision, usually, right?
0: Yeah. I also think it could even help you take the pressure off yourself. You could be taking risks currently in your life without even knowing you're taking risks. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I fully agree. Yeah. And that and is if you don't feel that pressure, then it's okay. Somebody else might feel it, but if it's not if you're not feeling it. Um, and and that I experienced that as an entrepreneur. I'm willing to go a lot further and be a lot more uncomfortable than, say, someone else that's not in my shoes. And when we compare stories, it's like, oh, my gosh, you did that? And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think it was a big deal. And then you start to maybe repeat habits, patterns, and experiences, and you get more comfortable with them. Do you find that for yourself, too?
0: Risk is almost
1: like a muscle.
0: And I, and I say, and I really say that wholeheartedly because I've now been an entrepreneur, what going on almost five plus years. I mean, you, you could say a lot longer if you considered my first job at the age of five, but it gets easier. Like it genuinely gets easier because you're more comfortable with yourself. You've probably made a lot of mistakes to kind of like, be like, I've been there, done that, but it does get easier because it's almost like a muscle memory of, you know, how to evaluate things. You know how to better trust your gut. You know how to pivot if something is going down the wrong path. And so, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you.
1: When you talk about trusting your gut, six months ago or so, I uh, was working with one of my team members and I could see like her wheels were turning. She had some ideas, but you could also see that reluctance. And I just said, you know what? You got to trust your gut because when I see you trust your gut, I see you do really great things. And it was like a light bulb moment for her, that permission to trust her gut from me uh, to say, go for it, do it. And that's really hard to quantify, right? (laughs) But I also think the more you try something and you recognize like I had an instinct and I was right about that. Maybe it didn't go perfectly the way it I thought it might all work out, but 80% of it went the way I thought. And you you have to listen to that little voice.
0: And it's when you're in that team-like environment, it's almost contagious. When you empower your colleagues or the people around you and your friends and family in your life to almost like be unleashed to trust their gut, it becomes really, really contagious. And when you're open about it, one thing I really try to to do as a leader or a mentor within brief is, is say, like, I'm just going to go with my gut. I could be so wrong by this decision. I'm just, let's just go with our gut and we can fix it if we need to. And I think that almost that openness to talk about it kind of empowers everyone else around you to almost like let go of a few of the doubts, fears, over analyzing of things and it creates a better better environment, and I think more fluid.
1: I love that. You know, a lot of women in the Fierce Lab community have shared that they don't take risks because they're not sure what they even need to evaluate to make steps to take it. And in hearing you talk about that, going with your gut and then Adjusting as you go. In entrepreneurial speak, you know, we call that having a theory and then micro pivots along the way. And so, any woman, whether she's an entrepreneur or not, have a theory. My gut's telling me this. So, that's your theory. And then think through some steps that you can take to test that. And they don't have to be giant steps, and they don't have to get you all the way across the finish line of whatever this big goal is, right? You can just do a few, evaluate the outcome,
0: make a micro pivot, and then do a few more. You don't have to dive into risk. You can actually plan for it. And I think that's like the biggest misconception is you don't have to just like fully dive into starting your own business or fully dive into taking a career pivot. You can actually plan for it and kind of bite it off chunk by chunk by chunk. Trust me, like I didn't just dive right into brief and said, okay, I'm I'm letting go of everything else. You better believe I was planning and, and doing date market like analysis and how could this look and what if and what if. That was a year long process before I decided to even leave my job and dive in full time. Like, I think if you demystify it a little bit and say, it's not so scary, you can plan for it. It makes it a a lot more doable and manageable. That's a
1: really great point. You spent a whole year preparing to make this change and and to step out and take this big risk but someone on the outside who cuz you probably weren't like publicly
0: sharing oh, all that I this. was not shouting this from the <laughs> rooftops I was like you know working on it over the weekend and saving money and like being very very thoughtful and and that even happened for my move to New York like I didn't just say I'm moving to New York I was okay, how could this look? Where would I go? Would I be comfortable here? It was so thought out so well before then. But of course, if you look at my like LinkedIn, you'd be like, oh, she just went. Right.
1: And that, that's not the case. And that's often not the case. And I think that's a really great thing to also point out is there, there could be this misconception that you just leap with any, without any preparation and You've said it, you didn't. You did a lot of planning, and that planning is often not glamorous and it's often not like publicly displayed. You know, I think about the Fierce Lab app, and the app, one of the core pillars is risk taking. And we have a lot of wonderful content for women on how you can make these decisions everything from articles to checklists and guides that you can work through. The app didn't happen overnight. It was released in December, but it took a full year to develop. And there were many moments along the way where I didn't know what I was doing. But going back to your point, Emily, about the gut check and then my point about having like these micro pivots and not biting off more than you can chew and just doing a little bit along the way. But you also aren't like touting that I'm doing all these things, because if you do fail, or at least for me, and I'd wonder how you feel about this. I like to fail on a smaller stage. How do you feel about failure?
0: Yeah. I I think of course I I was not going to just like dive right in and make it publicly. Like you got to test the waters a little bit. And I think to that point unglamorous. or not like risk doesn't happen in a silo either. Like you're not just building by yourself. I would hope, and this is what I've done is I was asking around, Hey, okay, what do you think of this idea? Are you also having like struggles with outsourcing or, Hey, like you're still at the agency. Like, would it be really helpful if you had the tools for payments and contracts you're asking around that you're asking your family, Hey, like, (laughs) am I crazy for even having this idea and doing it? And what, what would it take? So it's, it's unglamorous, but it's not alone. And you're right, it's on a smaller stage because that being said, it's not like I just launched Brief and thousands of brands started using us. Oh my gosh, that's no, you, I started even like probably, I was like knocking on the doors in the WeWork and just say, hey, like, do you guys need an agency? Oh yeah, okay, let me t- talk to me. Come, come, <laughs> come into my office. That's how it happened. So it was very, very slow and oftentimes a little bit frustrating, but <laughs> got me there.
1: So let's talk a little bit about brief and why you started it and how did you evaluate that risk for yourself? So you've shared a bit about that you were in the, your user's shoes in that you needed agency support while you were on the corporate side. How did you identify beyond you knew you were experiencing it? Let's, how did you identify that other people might need it too?
0: Yeah. So from like a very top line level, what Brief has done is brought the agency online. And that was, you know, if you really think about it, one of the last, I would say, like segments within the workplace that hadn't been brought online. And finding an agency partner was very cumbersome. Honestly, asking a friend of a friend of a friend, cold calling, Google searching, all of that. By the time you would find that perfect partner, that campaign or that business objective had like sailed away. You know, it was it was so long. And so taking that kind of struggle and frustration and saying, you know, there, there has to be a way that we can centralize this. And then on the flip side, there has, you know, at the agency, there has to be a way for these small businesses and these small boutique agencies to be able to access these bigger brands. They don't have a sales team. They don't have the money to put into paid advertising. They need the support. They need the tools. And so it was kind of like looking at that really holistically and saying, I always had this vision. The marketing manager has sweet cream open in one tab, Uber on their phone, getting their outfits from run, the runway. Why wouldn't we build a platform that allows them to make outsourcing better? And, um, and guess what? Like the modern marketing team has to outsource to multiple parts. Um, partners. There's no way you can bring on a full-time TikTok manager. There's no way you can do influencer by yourself. You need external partners to help you grow.
1: Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like you identified a problem and then thought, how can I make that better? Right. Would you say you, when thinking about doing something, you think about the what ifs?
0: Yes. Yes. I always think about the what ifs. I mean, that is like I, the biggest, I even think before I go into to meetings, I'm like, what if this happens? What if that happens? Because at least you kind of know the lay of the land. And you also know that like the what ifs probably like, aren't as scary as you think that they are just by like putting them out there. So I did think a, a lot of the what ifs, what if there aren't enough agencies to make this marketplace happen? What if there aren't enough brands who are also struggling with outsourcing? There's a lot of what ifs that, I always call them the Ws, who, what, when, or why. Like consider all of the Ws for problems big and small. But
1: you didn't let the what if stop you. No,
0: because I knew the problem was something I myself wasn't just experiencing. And I also saw at the time, and this is pre-COVID, There has to be a better way to work. Like we don't all need to be in the same room together. The fact that you could work with an agency partner in LA and be in New York, that's totally doable. And then I also, being at these high growth startups, saw that it was becoming impossible to keep up with my internal team. Impossible. One day, TikTok's a thing. The next day, Clubhouse is a thing. The next day, affiliate marketing's a thing. Oh, how do I keep up? I have to work with the best of the best partners outside of my internal team. Mm
1: -hmm. So we all have moments of self-doubt and potentially fear when making a big change and taking a risk. And I I assume you're you're no different. So how do you overcome your self-doubts and potentially fears that you feel?
0: I think going back to vocalizing them a little bit and almost giving them life and putting them on paper and pulling them outside of the crazy thoughts (laughs) that I could have and, and really then again, breaking them up out into smaller pieces. If I'm fearing this, okay, what does that mean? What would I need to do to overcome that fear? What if really almost (laughs) making fears a little bit more tangible has been really helpful because oftentimes they're not as scary as you think. They really Mm
1: aren't. I like that. You said that you vocalize them. So it's almost like by speaking the fears and the concerns that you have, it's like bringing the monsters out of the closet. And then you realize wait, they're not really monsters in the closet.
0: You're like, oh, I've, oh my gosh, I was a mentor told me this trick where if you have this like fear, like talk it out, like almost like have a conversation with it. And you'll off more often than not, it sounds kind of silly. You're like, why, why am I scared to do that? Like, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. I've like gotten myself to this point. I can do it again. If I fail, we'll just (laughs) go back to my old self, but almost like having this, again, like persona around fears and then, okay, how I'm going to like navigate this. A makes it a little bit more lighthearted and B you can probably solve through it.
1: I love that. Have a conversation with your fear talk to the fear, personify it. One of our other podcast guests, Emma Boma, she talks about that she carries this imaginary toolkit with her. And in this imaginary toolkit are the tools that she needs to deal with the things that she comes up against during her day, be it anxiety, frustration, so on and so forth. And I suspect that the both of you have this element in your toolkit that, I'm just going to talk it out. I'm going to personify this fear. I love that. That's so, I'm going to
0: try that. I just recently started working with a business coach and we were talking about my fear of like perfectionism. Oh my gosh, I feel like I have to be perfect at this and then I have to be perfect at my next meeting and perfect, whatever it may be. And so we gave my perfectionism a name and we started just like, It was so embarrassing, but like talking to her and like talking it out. And I was like, this is so silly. This is like a way bigger, like drama that I've been blowing out in my head versus just talking it out. And again, it just made me start laughing and then forgetting about the whole fear In general.
1: That's a great idea. And I think you're hitting on a really good point as well, that women sometimes don't make changes or take on risks because they're worried about not being perfect. They're worried about making a mistake. And so that's a really great piece of advice. Talk to it. Give it a name.
0: And there's never going to be a right time. No. Like, let's all accept that and just Mm -hmm. be okay with that. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you said also that you you put your fears down on paper. You break them down into smaller pieces and going back to the what ifs, you analyze, well, what if this and what if that? I think that's really valid too. I did something, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but if you're new, you haven't heard this story. I was struggling with a lot of self-doubt a lot of comparison, and it was really holding me back from setting out and accomplishing the things that I really wanted in my life. And so I took post-it notes and I wrote out all the reasons that in my head I was saying I couldn't do these things and the self-doubt that was holding me back. Then I went back through these 10 to 12 post-it notes and I rewrote them to be more affirming, to be more as if I could do those things. And so, you know, one might be, well, so-and-so already has that space shored up. So that's why it'll never work out for me. You know, they already hold this position in the marketplace. And the rewrite was, wait, there's room for all of us. There's this abundance mentality and there's room for all of us to be successful. My voice should be heard too. So the rewrite really helped me but I took it a step further and the the limiting beliefs that on the first set of post-it notes I put them in a brass urn and I lit them on fire I burned oh my
0: them fear you're amazing. That is such a good idea. Yeah. But again, it's like, it's like making them tangible and then getting rid of them. Yes. Like we're just, or, you know,
1: I've heard of people like going and throwing things off of a cliff or throwing things into the ocean and or, you know, like body of water, but like whatever you need to do to like wrap your mind around this irrational, fear or thought or concern that you have and make it real and then break it down to realize it's not that big of a deal. That's what I'm hearing you talk about. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, it's probably not that big of a deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you see limiting beliefs coming up? Like, like I know you're part of the hiring practices at Brief and and you guys are growing exponentially. And so I assume that you're seeing female job seekers and are you noticing some of them do or don't have some limiting beliefs while they're looking for new opportunities? Oh, that's a great question.
0: I don't think I, I notice like specific trends in that, in that way, but I definitely can tell the go-getters versus those who might not be as bought in to the process or as bought into what we're building. And it stands out when someone is passionate about, applying to a roll-up brief, I mean, it reads through the email, it reads through the conversation. And so I think, I mean, to circle back, maybe that's just a lesson of like, you don't need to put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe just like hone in on the opportunities that you're most passionate about and focus on like developing that portfolio just for that brand that you're trying to get ahead of or
1: that's great, I think that's a really good point about focusing in on what you're passionate about. And that leads me to a thought, we recently surveyed the Fierce Lab community and we were you know, wanting to know how women were feeling because right, we're seeing this unprecedented move. Women are making changes in their job and some are leaving the workforce altogether. And so we wanted to understand like what was behind this. And what we heard is that 67% of the women in our community are moving toward more fulfilling roles. And one of the words that they used was their passion. And what I heard you say is that showing that passion when you're applying for a role as someone that's responsible for being part of the hiring process, that speaks volumes, right? does that impact like someone's passion for the role and the opportunity versus their experience? How do you evaluate the two? Does it impact you that they're passionate, but maybe they have less experience?
0: Let your passion set you apart because your experience can get you so far, but like your passion is going to take you to the next level. And I think what's really cool about what your community is basically telling you is that it's not just a job anymore. It's a lifestyle. You have to really love and eat and breathe your work that you're doing. And that could be with an organization. It could be on your own. It could be a passion project, but experience is your foundation, but the passion is what's going to get you out of bed every day.
1: Mm, That's a great piece of advice. And it's okay to seek out our passion and align that to our work.
0: And now more than ever, you can do that. There's so many (laughs) nuanced jobs that organizations need those really specialized, passionate people to help them. Remote work. You don't have to work for an organization in your city. You don't have to be limited by that anymore. You could (laughs) find a brand internationally. You can... You can kind of find partners all over the place. I think that's been a really beautiful thing that's come out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm.
1: And the flip side is those of us that are entrepreneurs and own our own business and we're looking for talent, we can now recruit from all over, you know? I love that. I It's do too. been one of
0: the coolest things and have perspectives from all different parts of the country. At Brief, we actually just hired our first global employee and I'm like, that is so cool that Everyone can come to the table and share what they've kind of experienced, both in a big city, both not. That's probably one of my favorite things about remote work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The barriers to entry have been lowered significantly. Mm -hmm. When we were preparing for this interview, you mentioned that you're a strong believer in radical transparency, and I loved our discussion around that. So would you share for me what that means for you and how that applies in your world?
0: Yes. For me, radical transparency is this concept of building a business where the communications and expectations are very, very clearly outlined. And that doesn't just come from an internal perspective where you know all colleagues kind of know what they have to do to get the job done, but it also comes from a brand perspective. Being really clear about who you are as a brand, who you are as a team, what are your values? I think that transparency is, is the way of the future. I think it's needed in kind of a remote first lifestyle. And I think it really touches everything from leadership processes all the way down to kind of how you're portraying yourself as a brand.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that this concept of radical transparency has really evolved in the last 24 months. Many businesses are starting to think about how they're showing up in the world and how they're showing up for their employees. And you make a really great point that if there's not clear, concise communication expectations and standards, it's hard to know the direction that you're moving and the direction you expect others to move in. And I I think that is something to consider when you're thinking about making a change and not just a career change, but just a change in general. Like what are your expectations around it? And as you're moving toward this change that you're making, do you know what's on the receiving end as well from an expectation perspective?
0: Yeah, it it really does marry back up to to expectations and (laughs) being real with yourself, being really real, open and transparent with your users, with your team. I can't imagine a future where you could be successful and not be doing that. Especially if you're not sitting in the same room with your colleagues, you have to be open about everything. So nothing gets lost in, in kind of translation. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of
1: discussion, especially in the world of entrepreneurship, regarding forward thinking, future casting, you know, the what's next. How can women spot forward opportunities? Because I think that's also an element of change and risk taking is being able to see forward. So for you, what are your tips and advice around that?
0: I think it's being a little bit more in touch with your intuition. And what I mean by that is it's very, very, very easy to kind of be an autopilot sometimes. Like we're all, we're all guilty of that. And it, it, you know, you can go on your Instagram feed and you can just keep scrolling, 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 or you have the notification that tells you what's next, but being really intuitive on kind of what are the daily like struggles in my life that keep coming up? What am I, Hearing kind of below the obvious message, what are those trends? Kind of being a little bit more open to that will all of a sudden like shift your perspective in a way that opens up the opportunities that can be taken advantage of, changed, all of that good stuff. And I think it kind of even goes back to like how I got my first job at Pop Sugar. I was on the site constantly, and one day I kind of was like, oh, a career is interesting. Let me just go check that out. And that was just, you know, again, just not scrolling through the obvious. I would kind of just took a little path to get curious.
1: Mm-hmm. Get curious. Be willing to investigate and not be on autopilot, you said, but be in touch with your intuition, which goes back to what we discussed about trusting your gut. And those things are hard to quantify. I'll, I'll be the first to acknowledge that. I would add to what you've said, that when you're thinking about future opportunities and you are wondering what's next, but you, you don't have the answer. I mean, I certainly don't. And I just try and stay open to new ideas. And I try and it does go back to the, the intuition, but just being open to what might come to me. And you'll feel it. It'll be a flash. And, and you're like, that's an idea or that's a possibility or an opportunity and just jotting it down. Doesn't mean you have to have all the answers around it right then. And you're not necessarily certain how it's going to layer in, but listening to that and being open to hearing it.
0: Couldn't agree more and open to, to the people that are coming into your life and like those like subtle messages. Sometimes, you know, you're like, I have my network, I have my community, but take that one coffee with, with, with kind of the more random, I guess, opportunity and you don't know where that could go. And I'm not saying you have to take everything, but being a little bit like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll learn from that. I guess what we're both saying is like coming, approaching situations and scenarios from a place of learning and curiosity kind of will take you down the path that you're meant to go. Yeah.
1: And being willing to understand, I don't have to have all the answers right now, being open to that it might lead to something new down the line, but like, I'm just going to take this piece of information. I'm going to file it away. I don't know when I'll ever need to use it again, but now I have it.
0: Okay. So I struggled with this a lot in my like mid to to late twenties. I, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. Like it was where I was going. It was just how I viewed myself professionally. And I used to beat myself up. Oh my gosh, I don't have this idea. Everyone has these ideas. I, mean, I hear entrepreneurs all over the place. And how did they come up with those ideas? But it happened so organically. And if if I look back at my career, all the pieces really connected to build brief, just like I literally was in my user's shoes because I had to go through my time at the agency. I had to work in corporate. I had to work in startups. And I want to get that across. Like it happened naturally. I, I didn't have to force it. And almost when I stopped forcing it was when I was able to become an entrepreneur.
1: Hmm. I love that. And and you were open to waiting on the moment. You were patient with yourself and and understanding you were confident enough to know that it will come in time.
0: And until then, I'm just going to keep learning.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that there's a, one gender or another that's better suited to take risk and face change?
0: I don't think so. I think everyone almost approaches it in their own different ways. And you you hear that as an entrepreneur, you hear the entrepreneurs that kind of just quit their job and dove right in. And then you hear the other stories where they were working on it over time. Like it, it, it's kind of what works best for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is really how I view it.
1: I agree. I see lots of women that have mastered taking on risk, and they're, they're so inspiring to me. You being one of them, Emily, so I have really appreciated hearing about your story and how you think through evaluating change and, and taking on a new opportunity. You've given us some really amazing things to think about. I love that you put your thoughts through, will I regret? not trying this and then you go through the what if scenarios if you do try it and you've learned to talk back to those negative pieces of self-doubt you've even personified them you've you you shared you You've created a persona for perfection and, and you have a conversation with that perfectionism. And I just, I think that's so valuable and you, you vocalize what your fears are. I mean, these are all great tips that women can take away and immediately apply in their own life and thought
0: process. Yeah. Thank you. And I think just to add to that, risk is almost just a pulse check of, Hey, I'm keeping you in check on where you want to go. (laughs) Without that like sense of of risk and the fear behind it, we'd be very stagnant. Mm.
1: It's a pulse check. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me. But before I let you go, I have a question that I ask every podcast guest, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. The word fierce can be perceived in a lot of different ways, but it has a lot of different meanings to people. What does the word fierce mean to you?
0: Putting your fear aside to live out your full potential. Ooh, that's good.
1: That's good. You're going to put baby in the corner and leave her there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. That is so wonderful. And there's no doubt that you are moving in the direction of your full potential, Emily, with the work that you're doing at Brief. I'm so excited to continue to watch your career and business grow and see what you all continue to build and develop. Thank you for being here today.
0: Thank you. And thank you for allowing me to just share my experience with your community what an amazing thing you're fostering.
1: Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce
0: Lab.